welcome to the Blue and White Brothers, the podcast all about Penn State football. Conversation and commentary from a fan perspective. I'm Tom Gaffman. And I'm Andy Gaffman. And we are the Blue and White Brothers. Two brothers, two takes, one team. Well, bro. And another regular season of college football is finally in the books outside of the Army-Navy game this Saturday, which I don't, doesn't really count in my book. But in any case, uh, a lot to talk about uh, as that season has come to a conclusion. Also, a lot to talk about with Penn State over the last week. Some big news on the Penn State front. We're going to get into all of that in just a moment. Um, but, bro, before we do, I'm just curious how you're doing. You uh, Last time we talked, you were in the middle of a move. I, you still still, uh, still in the middle of a move. Sanity there, bro? No, no. <laughs> and and to, to make matters worse, Andy, um, you know, I, I, this, you know, it's what's today, Monday. And then, uh, was it, was it yesterday or Saturday that, that the CFP announced the, was it yesterday? Sunday morning? night. CF, yeah, yeah. Sunday afternoon, Sunday, yeah. I should say. So, so, uh, you know, it, it's just, we got a lot to talk about and I'm, I'm perturbed by the CFP and and the committee and and I'm I'm devolving into being a Florida state uh, sympathizer. Oh man, you're getting way ahead of the game. I know, here, but that's good. But Lord. that's but like it's just adding to my frustration with my move. And oh, it's just yeah. like you know, yes. thing, if things aren't you know, it's just it's been a um, there's been hurdles with my move so far, and and to add to it, the CFP's not doing their job. Oh my okay? gosh, yeah. They, college football is my safe place, my happy Bro, space, I, have they, and they're have ruining they, it. Fallen down on the job. Uh, are you? Wow. <laughs> That's a low blow. My brother is referencing the fact that I fell down my my brand new house front steps. Uh, it was snowing yesterday morning, and I sl- I was wearing sandals um, to you know for early in the morning to let my elderly dog out to pee, and I slipped and fell and like cracked my back, my rib cage. Uh, pretty catastrophic fall. Uh, I believe the term is ass over teacups. <laughs> Is an old an old saying, and I I mean I like it was like a, it felt like like I was in midair for like uh, in flight for two seconds and then landed on a a tiled step that has a metal um, edge to it. Oh jeez! <laughs> like you couldn't have asked for a more catastrophic fall. Uh, I'm just glad I didn't break a, a, any bones. Uh, my my arm and my my rib cage broke my fall. Uh, so yesterday was a tough day uh, from that standpoint. And while I'm still trying to move heavy things on top of it, I can't grip with my hand because of my forearm is injured. Oh, man. <laughs> it's, it's not well, that's been a great. good metaphor for for what the college football playoff committee has done. Falling they- down on the job is something they've been doing doing for quite some time and yeah, i per, i personified it well I'll, <laughs> I'll just say um in my world i actually did not watch a single lick of the college football playoff committee's results um i, I was involved in all sorts of other stuff uh and fun stuff enjoyable stuff um but very busy weekend and um today um celebrating a momentous milestone in my family uh, oh? la- yes. Last February, we went out and did one of the most insane things we've ever done, which is said, let's go get a puppy 
So, <laughs> so today, so one year anniversary of your new puppy. No, it's her, it's her uh, one year old birthday. She she turns yeah. one today. Sure, okay. And oh, okay. Uh, so I, okay. I I went to the store earlier today for the normal uh, the weekly shopping trip, and I got a whole bunch of treats. Uh, which our dog will have You're no idea. You're a special puppy, and these treats prove it. <laughs> she will have no idea why she's getting like we never like we hardly ever do treats, but yeah. By the way, has Sam ever received your other dog? Sam ever received this treatment, or is this you know you have a favorite now? Uh, well, see, Sam your is a rescue. Your silence is deafening. Your silence is deafening. <laughs> Sam is a rescue. Yeah, so okay, we don't so. really know his birthday, but we we have marked his anniversary uh, of, of coming home, um, especially the first year we did. But yeah, dogs don't understand like the special day treatment. They're just like, huh? Okay, give me sure. the food, human. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly. what they understand yeah exactly uh, okay so yeah it's been a, it's been an interesting weekend for for both of us yeah um yeah um, and well, we got a lot of stuff to talk about here yeah let's as get Penn into State it fans we, and college got, football fans yeah so here's what we're going to be talking about we, we've, we're going to talk about the new offensive coordinator hire for penn state big big news certainly the biggest news uh, of the week until the college football yeah, don't playoff wanna, committee don't wanna, did their thing. Don't want to sweep that under the rug. No, it's really big. <laughs> you know? um, and um, and so we're going to start off talking about that. Then we are going to get into um, both the championship week games that happened uh, last Friday and Saturday, and then the subsequent rankings and um, matchups for the playoff. Uh, we also found out Penn State's bowl game and their matchup. And we're going to talk about that. Um, and that'll be plenty. I mean, if we're lucky, we'll get out of this thing with, uh, you know, under three hours, right? <laughs> That's not, but, my goal is under four. Yeah. <laughs> but just one episode <laughs> this week. Um, hopefully a normal uh, episode length, but we'll we'll see. Either way, we got a couple more episodes coming up. Uh, don't forget to share the Blue White Brothers with your friends. Write a review. Give us a rating. Send in an email for the mailbag. We do have a couple of mailbag entries as well today, blueandwhitebrothers at gmail.com, and uh, send us your thoughts, questions, or whatever between now and the end of the season. We'd love to feature them on a future mailbag uh, entry. Um, but bro, um, with that, let's get right into the the big news for Penn State going into this past weekend, which was that um, I think it broke on Thursday, made official on Friday that Penn State hired Andy Kotelnecki as the offensive coordinator in replacement of Mike Yursich. He was previously offensive coordinator at Kansas with the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, James Franklin and Penn State lured him from Kansas to Penn State. And, um, you know, this was, I think, something that was a surprise to a lot of people watching. His name was not necessarily high on the list, but what I've at noticed... Least, at least knowingly high on the yeah, list. Yeah, right. I mean, no. the prognosticators and the commentators, they weren't picking him out as one of the top candidates. But what I just wanted to say is that since that hire, almost everyone who's looked at it have said, this is a home run hire. Yeah, I think the initial reaction from Penn State fans is, um, you know, like, who the heck is this? And right. why should I be excited? And How do I say his wh- last where name? Was the, where was this home? Yeah, where was this home run hire that we were anticipating or hoping for, being optimistic about? Um, you know, even in and, our own group, there was a lot of skepticism yep, yep. initially. Yep, no doubt. Um, and I understand that for, on sur- on the surface, but here's where you know you you just gotta like dig a little bit and like and determine how, you know what what kind of hire this really was. And and let's let's look at it this way. To me, this is the first um, 
at least as offensive coordinators go. This is, um, you know, with the exception of, of to me, getting um, Kirk Shiraka. You know, uh, I, 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 I don't know if we ever really like loved the Kirk Shiraka hire. I think I think initially we felt like it was a, a good hire. Obviously, he fired him with, within a, a year of, of hiring him. Yeah, well, but we like the, the hire because he beat he us beat the us. previous season. Yeah, right. Yeah, but but this is a a power five um, coordinator coming to a power five program. Like that's that's what you want. You want at least a proven uh, play caller, um, uh, offensive coordinator coming out of the ranks of the power five. Like, so, so check that, you know, box as far as like, you want somebody with experience in the power five. We got that. Uh, and, and from what else I, I understood was there were some other programs that were trying to get him, namely Oklahoma was one of them. And I, I don't know if, uh, of, of for sure any other big time programs, but I, I do believe Oklahoma was seriously con, uh, considering him and wanting him. So he, he was a hot name in the OC national OC um, coach coaching circle. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, certainly he's not a household name by any means. I mean, someone like Manny Diaz, for example, when he was hired, everyone said, wow, what a catch. Like yeah. Manny had made his reputation as a defensive coordinator and then as a yeah. coach. You know, he's widely regarded as a brilliant defensive mind and he's a he's a personality that is, you know, on the sidelines. You can see him all we're the still time. Hoping he's st- Sorry, I'm yelling. I'm, we're still hoping he sticks around with us, by the way. I don't think we're out of the woods yet. Yeah, um, that that's a, another storyline, obviously, and um, you know there are a couple of uh, positions still open, especially that Duke position. I think that um, he's actually, as far as I know, he's actually interviewed for. Um, so yeah, yeah, you know, no crossing doubt. our fingers that Penn State well, can retain him, but that's not this story right now. Yeah, all that to say, like uh, Andy Kotelnecki, Andy Kotelnecki, Andy, you can pronounce the first part very easily. Andy, we say can't call him me. Coach K, can we? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> um, but anyway, Andy Kotelnecki, um, it's just not someone that that most people had heard of. Um, I mean, certainly people noticed that Kansas had been having some success, but Lance Leopold is a guy that was most often talked about there. You know, the thing that strikes me, though, is that, like, who is that home run hire, you know, short of, like, actual production numbers, which we're going to get into this a little bit with Andy Kotelnecki, very good numbers and some really interesting things that he's done in his previous stops as well as at Kansas. But, um, I, I, you know, I'm not sure who you want that's better than this guy that we should have been able to get or would like to have been yeah, able like to there, get. There's not a, like, 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 if Chip Kelly hadn't been retained at UCLA, that may have been right. the number one a home run. On the market, like, yeah. yes, but I, but I think uh, like teams like Ohio State would have been in the running for a Chip Kelly. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not saying Ohio State was going to do that. I'm just saying that's the level of interest a guy like Chip Kelly would have had. And I don't know if Penn State would have. Yeah, but there's no one on the market like that. You that's know, what I, that's what right? I'm saying. Like he would have automatically been everybody's top of the wish list. Joe Moorhead was mentioned a lot, right? Because of. Penn State's previous experience of him mentioned, have, but never truly, I think, in the actual running. No idea whether he was actually even interested or willing to come. And of course, we have no idea who Penn State actually approached. If anyone turned them down, a lot of people are talking Joe Brady uh, up at the Bills, but he's got the OC job of an NFL, you know, interim, but of an NFL franchise right now. I it's kind of hard in the middle of the NFL season to pull someone like Joe Brady away. And I think, you know, one of the interesting things about um, 
Andy Kotelnecki's job at Kansas right now, he had a very, very, very good contract. Million dollars a year with incentives, five-year contract, very secure, and he's with a guy he's been with for 11 years. It was a... Hold on, real quick. That 11-year part, to me, is a big deal when it comes to, you know, we, we're, we're always concerned as Penn State fans, like, oh, who, who what coordinator is going to leave us next? Because there was a, a string of, you know, like we weren't able to retain assistance for a long time. Yeah. Uh, under and this is a six OC in James's 10 years, right? right? So, so, like, so, so, you know, I, I don't, I, Andy Kotelnicki at this point in time doesn't fit the bill of somebody who's actively, rapidly trying to climb ladders, right? He's, he was a, uh, um, you know, Working under Lance Leopold um, for eleven years, and that just speaks to, to to a loyalty factor that that I think James wants from his assistants. Um, and and now that he has the alignment that he keeps talking about, and I'm putting air quotes up around alignment, and that's with Pat Craft and the university, uh, AD Pat Craft and the university. It's like being able to pay these assistants to stick around, to retain them, to also hire, um, you know, a guy like Andal Kotonicki out of a pirate power five program where he was you know obviously being taken care of under lance leopold for 11 years so yeah it's, it's a big deal to me that 11 years under lance you know bringing him over here and hoping that the type of family atmosphere that james encourages is something that andy kotelnicki enjoys and sticks around for building a, an offense over the course of three four five years hopefully yeah yeah absolutely so you know um, when this was first announced, again, I really didn't have any frame of reference for for this guy. I, I know you didn't, and, and even you know our mom texted the two of us in a little like group chat and saying, "Hey, do you know anything about this guy? What do you think?" And like, I think for both of us, it was like, "Yeah, I don't know." Like, yeah, <laughs> you, you sort of trust that Franklin and Penn State are going to find a, a good person. So, like, I was sort of leaning into that. It's probably a good. Uh, higher. Um, I know some other guys in our group were saying, you know, they're ready to kind of burn the place down. Because well, the, the concern is that it's another Big Twelve uh, offensive coordinator, right? Right. You know, which is what Mike Yurcich was. Yeah. Now, what I think that what and we're because it's learning- like it, it's someone who's not like a you know a upper echelon name that everyone knows. But I, I thought it would before we talk about some of the concerns um, or or uh, you know other things like that is just uh, let's talk about some of the things that you and I have learned. over over the last few days about, you know, why James Franklin sought this guy, pursued him, gave him the kind of package that would allow him to come to Penn State. Um, and so here are a couple of things about Andy Kotelnecki, both um, from Kansas and, and just over his his whole career. And by the way, he has an 18-year career as an offensive coordinator, um, starting in the D- D3 programs, going all the way up uh, to Division One now uh, in the FBS. Um, but over those 18 years, um, you know, the the scouting report on him is that he designs prolific offenses that put up a lot of yards, a lot of points, are well known for explosive plays. Um, he's viewed as a guy who is highly creative, that he does things that are unique, that he looks for ways to exploit both the rules and other teams' tendencies to do things that are just fun. Like one of the things that uh, I was listening to a couple of podcasts and people are talking about him is his offenses are just really fun to watch. Whereas ours are really predictable. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) 
I mean, back, you know, it's been since the Joe Moorhead era where it's felt like our offense is fun to watch. And and to me, as a lover of college football in general and Penn State in particular, how much fun will it be to watch a fun offense if that's right. what indeed we already know, got Andy the fun Cl- defense. I know. Got to have a well, fun exactly. offense to, to match like, it, right? You, you know, and, and Jay, excuse me, Brent Pry. He was a great defensive coordinator. He had great defenses, but it was sometimes hard to watch his defenses with a bend but don't break. And like you wouldn't have the really big splash plays until like sometime later in the game at a critical moment. But like Manny Diaz, it's like you never know when it's going to come and it's always going to be – it always seems like he's developing something that's more exciting than the the last play in the last game and and – you know, to have an offense that would match that in terms of being fun to watch. I'm excited about that for sure. Um, and the other thing, um, that, that I'm hearing and and the scouting reports on him are saying is that he's somebody who develops systems around his players. And of course, like every coach is going to say that, but like at his different, he has more proof in the pudding than some other at his different stops. He's had different skill sets and he's designed different kinds of offenses around those skill sets. So, um, while he is, um, typically running an RPO based system, he can do things with pocket passers. He can develop, you know, straight passers. He has had, you know, moderate, He's had great success with moderately talented running backs. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he like running backs really thrive in his offenses. And I, it's really exciting to think about what someone who's really trying to like allow a top level running back room <laughs> breakout. Well, and, th- and that brings up a good point. Andy is, is he has done more, at Kansas specifically. I can't speak to Buffalo so much, but we will mention his trip, his stop at Buffalo. Cause Penn state yeah. did happen to play Buffalo when he was there. But in regard to doing more with less in terms of talent on his offense, I believe they have the sixth, um, least talented offense in the power five. Wait, 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 wait. You mean like in terms of like star rankings or whatever? Yeah. When it comes to recruiting, I, I if I, I think I'm remembering this correctly, uh, Kansas offense is the sixth least talented, like player. Recruiting. This is crazy because like I, you know, I've been talking about some of the stats that Kansas has put up as an offense and knowing he right. did that with like the sixth least yeah. talented group of players. Yeah. Cause dude, it's not easy to recruit to Kansas, right? You, we think it's hard to recruit to happy Valley. Try Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. try Lawrence, Kansas. <laughs> Good Lord. So with that in mind, At a basketball school, by the way, right. With that in mind, what, we're a football school. Did yeah. you know that? Did you know we're a football school, Andy? I, I did. You know we're not a basketball school. <laughs> I, I've, I've picked up on the fact that we are not yeah, a basketball school. You are entrenched uh, in the fact. When you lose to Bucknell, <laughs> oh, you God. are not a basketball. Five school. straight losses now, <laughs> including to his old, his old um, school at VCU and now to Bucknell in oh, state down God. the road, Bucknell university. Oh, oh. Man, it's brutal. Go on, go on. Anyway, go on. so back to Andy Kotelnicki. Just, just, just think, thinking about the talent of of the uh, just the base talent level of the Kansas offense. Check out these statistics. This is from 2023. Kansas, they were eighth in the nation in yards per play. Eighth in the nation in yards per play. And it's, just think about how hard, how grinding Penn State's offense was. You know, just like you know, three, four yards every play, seven yards a play. That's eighth in the nation. Last year, by the way, they were second in the nation behind Ohio State in yards per play. Uh, this year, they are 
eighth in total rushing offense. They're eighth in explosive play percentage. They're ninth in first down efficiency. They're 13th in third down conversion percentage. Uh, On both passing and rushing in yards per play, they are seventh and eighth respectively. This is an offense, again, getting so much out of their talent level. This is an offense that gets yards. And and by the way, they also get points, you know, they're, um, they're in the top 20 on, on, uh, you know, offensive points scored. So um, this is, and by the way, they did that this year with, you know, one of the most talented quarterbacks in the FBS on the sidelines with injury. Yeah, they were doing, they're doing that with their second and third string quarterbacks. Um, So what's interesting to me, Andy, is we, you know, at Penn State, what's been Penn State's problem this year, specifically on offense? Uh, passing the ball down the field. That's correct. Sure. Um, passing <laughs> the ball down the field. Problems. Passing the ball down the field to our wide receivers. Getting, getting our a wide back rece- in space. Getting our wide receivers open. Yeah. Um, with separation, scheming. You know, routes that that uh, you know you can complete passes on a regular basis. So we had like. You know, it's not like our our wide receiver room lacks talent. Like it actually is there on paper, but we have not figured out how to unlock it. And it and what you're telling me here is with some of these stats is a guy is doing this, you know, schematically with lesser talent and is still getting it done at a power five level to a high degree. Yeah. No. Okay. To, to to that point, okay. Mm-hmm. There for for nine games this season, their quarterback has been Jason Bean. He's their second yeah. string quarterback. Yeah, Jason Bean is fourth in the country in yards per completion. Fourth. <laughs> And he's still, and it's not like he's completing only downfield passes and nothing else. He's right, 12th in right. passing efficiency in the nation. Yeah. This is yeah. their backup quarterback. Sounds like, like it's now, now is Jason, I have not f- followed Jason Bean much. Is he a dynamic runner at all? Is he like, is that the type of running back he is? Or I, that's a great question. And I know Jalen Daniels, their first I, oh, yeah. who was no, injured. He, it, he absolutely is a dynamic runner. He's a dual threat. Um, I don't know as much about their, their I'm backup. I'm pulling up Jason Bean right now, just real sure. quick. Well, uh, just to see just to see if he actually does have like high level rushing numbers. Because obviously if you're going to be... Now, you already mentioned the fact that he does tailor his offenses to his players and personnel. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it just it's it'll be curious. To, to see if that, that if that does bear fruit properly with Drew Aller, if sure by the way so. Drew Aller does indeed stick around as he has professed to be wanting to do. Yeah, and um, while you're looking up the the that question about Jason Bean as a runner, they, their running back Devin Neal is nationally ranked as well. He's 1200 yard running back. He's a 1200 yard runner. I mean, how much mm-hmm. would we love one of our running backs? I've gotten 1200 yards. Uh, this the guy, Devin Neal, of our guys only barely had that much. This guy, Devin Neal, eighth in yards per carry eighth in the country. Wow. Wow. And like, what was his recruiting ranking? Like, is it, you know, I, like, did he even did, have one? Where did, <laughs> you did know? Devin Neal come from? I had no idea. You <laughs> he know, was born in Lawrence. He's a hometown kid that, that De- Devin Neal. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so like, this is a guy that can get your talented players to produce prolifically. And, you know, I think that the question is, you know, if he can do that at Kansas now, again, granted it's a big 12, defense that he's playing most of the time. Sure, sure. But he's doing it with 
a team, you know, with players that are talented far below even the mean of the, the probably half of the defenses that they're playing in the big 12. It's, it's yeah. pretty impressive. To answer the question about uh, is is Jason Bean a a running quarterback? I would say he's not, he's not like he 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 can run the ball. He like he has a threat. And Drew Aller has shown the ability to like pick up first downs, maybe get a touchdown here and there. We are not certainly hoping to have him be a dynamic presence in the running attack. I think at Penn State moving forward. Um, yeah, I mean, but, I guess so the Jay- question is, you know. Are you is your quarterback going to be getting yards on scrambles or is, that right. gonna, is he going to be getting or yards design. on designed runs? So, so Jason RPO. Bean, according to the ESPN statistics, Jason Bean has rushed 41 times for 259 yards. Okay. And one of those was on a, a long of 50 yards and he has three touchdowns. Now, cross reference that with uh, Drew Aller. Drew Aller has rushed and some of those probably count for sacks or, or sure. you know, whatever. He, he has has rushed 69 times for 170 yards uh, and four touchdowns. Yeah, so, so somewhat comparable. Not, yeah, somewhat. I mean, it, it, it does seem like, it, it, you know, Jason Bean's first, uh, you know, mode of attack is passing the ball. Yeah, this is and, not and, like a Lamar Jackson who's like right, rushing pers- for right. 500, 800 yards. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so I, you know, it wasn't like Jason Bean is a truly, you know, dual threat in the sense of the, like they're running him to the tune of 800 yards in right. the season. Right. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. So, so anyway, um, again, the more, the more I've looked at this guy you know you say here's a guy that brings the kind of things that Penn State has been lacking and he's done it after 18 years of success on multiple levels um often um you know in under-resourced programs uh, uh, you know it seems to have um you know I guess there was uh, a couple interviews that um have been done with Kansas players over the last year and they're mm-hmm. talking about Andy Kotelnecki. It's mm-hmm. very highly regarded by his players, including Jalen Daniels, had some really glowing things to say about him. So And by the way, he got he got Jalen Daniels this season throwing for nearly seventy five percent of his completions. Before just, he went just, out. Yeah, that's seven hundred yards. Of seven hundred yards of passing, he had seventy-five percent completion percentage. That's amazing, right? and yeah. only one interception to five touchdowns. So, so his number one quarterback was getting very good production uh, from him. Well, um, so th- some interesting things here, and um, you know, we actually have a couple of mailbag questions related to Andy Kotelnicki and the hiring of this new offensive coordinator. And so, I thought, you know, as we continue to talk about him, why don't we go ahead and open the mailbag? Mailbag time. Mailbag time. So, um, a couple of folks who've been writing in quite a bit this season. Um, we'll start off with Shane Dowd, uh, who says this. Gents, here are the overall defensive rankings of conference opponents Kansas has played this year. BYU, 107. Texas, 27th. And by the way, Kansas only scored 13 points against Texas. UCF, 84th. Oklahoma State, 112th. Oklahoma, 80th. Iowa State, 41st, Texas Tech, 87th, Kansas State, 57th, Cincinnati, 94th. This means that the average ranking of their opposing conference defenses is 76.5 out of 130 teams. Compare this to Penn State's opposing conference defense average, 37.1 out of 130. So, 
I'm not sure what to make of this hire. It's getting good reviews, but I've seen plenty of Big 12 offenses not transfer nearly as well in the SEC and the Big 10. Mike Yersich comes to mind, obviously. Additionally, our knock on Yersich was that he couldn't score points in the big games. And worth noting here that Kansas's best opponent, Texas, which was also their best defense, they were held to 13 points. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this and Kotelnicki overall. So... Um, thanks for doing that homework and that legwork there, Shane. And thanks for writing in as usual. We appreciate, um, our repeat offenders, uh, here at blue and white brothers in the mailbag. Um, now I do share the concern of the, the big 12 defense situation there. Like I do share that concern. Ultimately, my optimism outweighs that due to what I believe is, um, you know, Penn State is going to it has a be, a better um, stable of talent than Kansas does, and and when, when with regard to what they did against Texas, Texas is an elite recruiting machine compared to Kansas, and Kansas has given fits to to teams in the Big Twelve off and on over the years, and including beating Texas. By the way, I think what it was it was either last year or the year before they beat Texas, or maybe both years. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they beat Texas two years in a row. So the point is, what we're wanting is doing more with less because we are playing up to the Ohio States. We are playing up to the Michigans, and we need to do more with less. And that's what he has been able to do. And and that's 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 where you're putting your your um your hopes in that basket that that you can out scheme a better team on offense, a better team that, that is, you know, defensively a better team than your offense is. So, and that's what Mike Yersich was not able to do. And, um, so that's, that's what we're going to hope to see is that, that, you know, with a better stable than Kansas has on offense, a better stable of talent, um, that, that he's capable of doing that. So, so I still, I remain optimistic because by the way, we have to, they hired him, you know, like, <laughs> like it, it doesn't do any good to, to, to just assume it's going to be a, a disaster. Um, every season begins with hope. Um, that is the beauty of, of every, you know, sports season, every team's season going into it. And, um, you know, it's, it, we're, we're still a, we're a very good program. Like we, I, th- I think some of, um, you know, the early, early, way, way, way too early projections for next year. Some people have Penn State as not only a top 10 team, but a top five team. And I think, you know, I don't see them changing the offense so much that Drew has to learn so many new things. I don't think it'll be like rewriting the the, the offensive playbook, you know, front to back. Um you know, because you don't want to have your, this is potentially Drew's last year next year. And it is priority one to get Drew functioning as a top level passer right out of the gate. So Franklin made this higher with that in mind. And, and I think, you know, with what we, we, we saw from Kansas under Kotelnecki the last several seasons is that he's capable of getting playmakers open in space and, and, you know, uh, what Bean has the, what do you say? The fourth uh, most yards per completion. Like yeah. that is, and, and like yards per play yards per completion. That This is where, what we've been lacking this year. Explosive explosivity and, and moving the chains, you know, Absolutely. Like, so, so that's what you, that's what you're doing here. That yeah, you're hiring I mean, a guy who can do that. I think it's always hard to figure out how one style of play translates 
to a different conference, you know, and True. Mike Yersich is a case in point. And, um, you know, but the other thing with Mike Yersich and Franklin actually said this, um, I think it was in his post Michigan state when he was talking about what they're looking for in a, an offensive coordinator. One of the things they were talking about was like a, a track record, a resume, you know, that was long enough to see that it, like good, um, results weren't the benefit of a generational player. And to me, that's Mason Rudolph at Oklahoma state. Like Mike Yurcich's magic happened at Oklahoma state with Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph was an NFL caliber quarterback, you know, and, um, he shredded the big, he's still what? on, he's still on the Steelers right now. But is he really? Is he injured yeah. or something? Oh, okay. No, he's uh, just he's just on. He's just bad. <laughs> he's just a bad quarterback that's on a bad team <laughs> with a bad quarterback situation. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, he, he did have some successful games, um, you know, as a as a pro quarterback, um, and you know, not every ex prolific college quarterback makes it in the NFL. But I'm just saying, Mason Rudolph was a great college quarterback, and Mike Yurcich's offense had the benefit of it. Um, you know. But I think when you look at Andy Kotelnicki, he's done it with all sorts of different kinds of players and different kinds of talent level over 18 years. And he's consistently found a way to get great production out of the players on his squad. Um, and he's found ways to lead them and to develop them and to develop um, offenses around them. So I think that's the counterpoint to it's just the Big 12 defense. But the truth is we're really not going to find out until the games are played. Um, you're really not going to find, I mean, you know, we'll be talking about the college football championships in just a little bit. And like, you try to project, Oh, how's this team going to match up against that team? Well, you know what? They haven't played each other and you don't really know until you take the field. It's all in your mind until then. And so I feel like that with like, uh, you know, big 12 defenses, are they as bad as we really think? Or are the offenses that good? You know, meanwhile, are the defenses in the big 10 that good or is it just the offenses are so bad you know like yeah. like which is which is well, the you know what solve this is having an expanded playoff where everybody just <laughs> hold on solves we're, it on the field Sorry. hold on we're not a little ahead of myself here <laughs> yeah but so, anyway how you get to that point <laughs> i mean i'm definitely I, I definitely understand the reasons for skepticism absolutely and we've been burned by mike yursich and kirk Sharaka before well, him well, let's let's look at a bit from a larger picture here. Let's zoom out. We still have James Franklin as the head coach, and we yeah. still don't know how much his fingerprint and DNA is all over every single offense that has come through. Because absolutely, like, it is our sixth in ten, you know, going on eleven years, a sixth OC. Yeah. And can, can any and OC is, have success in James Franklin's wh offense? Why? Why? You know, it's it's an, it's pretty remarkable to me as a Penn State fan, that the defense, which Franklin has nearly no hand in, has been so staunch and, and and you know, um, consistently great, even yeah. un under Pry. And, uh, you know, once he, you know, hired Pry full-time, I forget, who was our DC? Ted Roof. Once he got rid of Ted Roof and, and um, I guess Ted Roof was technically maybe hired away, and then he promoted our linebacker coach Brent Pry, and Pry was a mainstay for whatever six years, uh, if that number is correct. I'm not sure, but um, but then obviously hiring Manny Diaz, the defense it got even better yeah. under Manny yeah. Diaz, and here we are. James Franklin was a 
a college quarterback. He was an offensive coordinator. He was a wide receivers coach. He coached in the NFL. He coached in the ACC. He coached in the SEC. He coached in the Big 12. He's been all over, and he, the offense is his jam, so to speak, and it has been the most um, controversial aspect of Penn State football. Quarterback, wide receiver, offensive line, you know, overall production, overall production. Like, like we have had issues uh, with the offense more often than we have not, you know, over the, with the exception of, you know, Joe Moorhead. And you could even maybe throw Ricky Ronnie's offense in there as being like, I would take Ricky Ronnie's offense over the one we had this year. Um, I think that's not even a, a far leap to, to, to make uh, on that front, but, at least in terms of statistical production, sure. Yeah, but so so it's just like that. That is the 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 concern here, the the the, the hesitation, the uh, the pause when it's like, oh, is it all going to be solved because we have this this new flashy OC? Like, what what is Franklin going to do to make sure that he can't run his offense the way he wants to run it? Yeah, again, you know, you know so Sharaka Yursich. Two guys that didn't work out came in with a lot well, of like promise. Like, was Franklin's boy. Uh, I, I, get, no, I, I mean, right? <laughs> but again, you go back to Joe Moorhead, and you know Franklin plucked him out of Fordham, and Moorhead did some really amazing things and seemed to work well with Franklin, and you know helped also our, took, took yeah helped our team play above its level. You know, so I. I think jury's out on Franklin overall, and certainly jury's out on Andy Kotelnicki and whether he's going to be the guy that can actually get our offense to perform the way that we need to, um, both in the Big Ten and nationally. Um, but I think there's reasons for optimism, certainly as many reasons for optimism as there would be for skepticism. And and um, in the meantime, we'll just have to see how it translates. I mean, you know, proof will be in the pudding very early in next season when we're playing Illinois at home and then going to have some very tough Big Ten games, you know, pretty early on. I mean, heck, even going into West Virginia for the first game of the season is going to be a really interesting litmus test for how this offense transitions. I mean, on the road. On the road yeah. in Morgantown. We're going to be a top 10 team, I believe, preseason. And West Virginia might have... I don't know. They, they, they'll probably have larger expectations. Not probably. They will have larger expectations next year and maybe put up more of a fight than they did against us this year, uh, especially with it being in Morgantown. That could get rowdy. That that should be another like primetime rowdy affair, I would Absolutely. think. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it'll be fun. It'll be great. I, so I'll we'll find out early on how, how good this hire is. But until then, I'm, I'm keeping my... My hopes higher than not. Let's put it that way. But yeah. um, Shane, thank you for writing in. Uh, appreciate your uh, your research and your comments, and um, we'll uh, stand by and see how it works out. Um, bro, we've got another mailbag contributor. This is Cody from Pittsburgh, who says this. Well, James Franklin got his guy. Jury's still out for me on the hire, but either way, welcome to the Penn State family. Now, in the past nine years, Franklin has brought some significant talent to Happy Valley, but often those players don't live up to the hype. Do you feel there is a deficiency with how James Franklin and his coaches evaluate talent or that the development once on campus is the issue? Are they missing diamonds in the rough? How do you ensure that they are maximizing three and four star talent? I do not feel that they are incorrectly evaluating talent. I do not feel that um, 
that development is a like a glaring issue. Um, I just feel it, it when it with regard to the wide receiver. We're talking about wide receiver position here. I think like I, that's where it, it all boils down to. I think with this team. I mean, and, you and, worry about it with quarterback though, right? And even well, uh, no, no doubt, even no doubt. running no. back. Like, look at where well, our running backs were. Listen, last couple Drew, of years Drew before. looks the part. Drew looks the part of a sure. five-star quarterback. He really does. You can see it. You can see it with how he. You can tell that he has a better processor than Sean Clifford. You can tell he has a better arm than Sean Clifford. Now. He doesn't have necessarily the experience that Sean Clifford had, and he doesn't necessarily have the a stud wide receiver to count on like Sean Clifford had 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 with Hamler and with Dotson, uh, and to a certain degree uh, Parker Washington. Um, so we we I think Mike Yersich being fired was the correct decision because he was not getting our playmakers uh, in advantageous situations. We were not like, again, I will go back to this and I, it's like beating a dead horse, but like playing offense in a reactionary schematical way is, is wrong to not be the one dictating the terms of conflict against the defense is wrong. We are constantly going to the line and instead of dictating the terms of the play, we are waiting to see what the defense is calling and trying to adjust the line constantly. And 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 to a certain degree, you should be operating that way. Like any smart quarterback uh, in the NFL operates that way. Like, oh, hey, this is the wrong. Like we got an audible here, but like that's how we're operating on every single play. And yeah, it basically, and in terms of play design, it, 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 and gives, scheme, your, it gives your offense no confidence. Cause you're constantly right. like, what a player are we going to be running here? Like, you're doing nothing to take the attack to the defense. That's what I'm saying. And, um, uh, you know, there was a lot of conversation and we didn't get to talk about it. Um, you know, when we were discussing Michigan it, ran the ball 35 times in I mean, a they row just, or whatever it was, they shoved it you, down our throats. They dictated the terms. That's what I, that's like. Yes. That is the point of an offense is to right. dictate the terms. You're playing offense. That is the the, the definition of the word. You know, um, <laughs> well, and like defending, we, so, you're, you're 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 like that is the definition of the word defend. Right, and is, with that, and with that, we've got you know two of the best running backs in the country. We've got one of the best quarterbacks in the country, at least in terms of his own recruiting class and these guys are dinking and dunking the way down the field it just was a problem all season that you're not getting these guys why on you're not putting them in a position for their talent to to actually help the team succeed why on earth is our team ethos on defense to be so attacking it's we have a more attacking defense than we have an attacking offense that's a great point like, I mean, that's why. why, our, why does, by the way, why do you? That's why it feels like we're watching Iowa when our team is on offense. Right. That's why yeah. it has felt that way, even though we are clearly far a, more there's productive. A, a massive imbalance yes. of of what we're seeing on the two different sides of the ball. Yeah, and it's very vanilla. You know, at yeah. least it appears like if there no, is, is something that that I am sick of the of the of the RPO run left, RPO run right. I am. I have had it up to my eyeballs with staring at yeah. that so, that running attack. So just to just to get back to Cody's question, 
you know, I, I think what I'm hearing you saying, bro, is that it's not really a question of we don't have the talent. It's no, not no. a question of that we're not even developing the talent, but it's that at least for this past year or two, we haven't really been putting the talent in a position to succeed Absolutely. on game day with a playbook. Absolutely, we that, haven't been. That enables it's obvious them. to us. Yeah. yeah. So, so, and I, and again, I think that's part of why Andy Kotelnicki, you look over what he's done and the way that he's been able to do that with all of his offenses, put his skill players in a chance to succeed. You know, he's he is a simple enough playbook that allows college kids to execute it well. And he is a creative enough playbook that allows opposing defenses to be continually off balance. Um, and that's why he's had such great success. Franklin consistently puts uh, guys that are are lower um, rated in like recruiting um, rankings, lower rated in recruiting rankings that that end up going to the NFL. Franklin is one of the best uh, coaches, and, and Penn State is one of the best programs at putting players in the NFL over the last decade. They are so it's not like it is not a lack of talent. It is not a lack of of development of the talent. I mean, we we got studs. You know, we, we, it's 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 there. You can metrically see, you know, that we have talented players, and 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 the proof is in the annual pudding of guys going to the NFL. Um, so now, now, do we need to develop certain position groups better? Absolutely. You, but you can do that. You can say it across the board on at every position group. Like we want to see better defensive tackles, but you know, we had one of the best defensive lines in the country, even despite having defensive tackles that weren't up to that, you know, um, measure of like run stuffing set, you know, um, PJ Mustafer type tackles. But so, so we want to see the, the, the quarterback um, position developed better and we want to see the wide receiver position develop better but we are absolutely developing offensive linemen better than we have um so it's just about getting each of these like position groups up to snuff and have having them all converge like peaking around the same time not not just in their careers but also during the season as well yeah. Well, um, thanks, Cody. That's a great question. Spurred a little bit more conversation about what's ailing Penn State and uh, how our new offensive coordinator is going to help address those things. Again, we'll see how that goes. But, um, bro, let's go ahead and close the mailbag and um, turn from this offensive coordinator hire discussion to the other big news from the weekend, which is the championship week results and everything that's happened since then. And, you know, bro, I'm a little worried right now because uh, <laughs> I I was expecting that that first part of the conversation to take a little bit shorter than it did. And um, every time we've started talking about this next topic, it has gone off the rails so quickly. I, am, I live <laughs> off the rails. My, <laughs> so, my, whole, my whole lifestyle is off the rails. I so. don't know where this if is you going You think you're going to keep me on any rail? No, I, I don't. I don't. But we'll, we'll join see. me off the rails, Andy. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know how you know. I pr- I pull you over. That will be, I pull you <laughs> off the rails with me. Come try speak to my guttering level. So uh, yeah, starting Friday night, um, the conference championship games began. It began um, with the Pac-12 and. Um, yeah, great game. I, great game. I'd like to just talk game. through each of the five uh, major conference championship games, and then we'll talk about 
sort of what happened as a result. But that Pac-12 championship game, Washington and Oregon came down to the final minutes, and Washington uh, succeeded in maintaining their undefeated record by a second win over Oregon uh, on a neutral site, 31 to 34, uh, Washington won it. Um, it was pro- it was definitely my favorite game of the weekend to watch for sure. Yeah, and it kicked off the weekend on on Friday night. I think that like, I I think everybody. What's crazy to me is I think wasn't Oregon like a nine and a half point favorite they were in the game? Heavily favored. I don't. Totally I, disrespected. I, I did. I did not understand how that was like a real thing. Um, I, I think everybody was hoping that like. You know the brand of Oregon and and the the Bo Nix like Heisman Trophy hype. I think that they were expecting that to take the leap, um, and and I just had this gut feeling, and I I think I I said it to the group, but like I just felt Washington outright money line they were gonna take it. They had already beaten them earlier in the season, and I just felt like why it was like maybe like this is like a Washington team of destiny. Kind of feels it feels that way for sure. And by the way, um, what most impressed me of the of the game of all the the major kind of defensive and offensive units, Washington's defense was exceptionally impressive. They they just locked them down. There was a there was a point at which Oregon went up, and you thought, uh oh, the tide is turning. And Washington defense just took it to another level, and they just kept shutting the door on Oregon. um, You know, and and. By the way, uh, Michael Penix just had a great game. He looked fantastic. Um, it was just Washington, all around. Washington had the ball for 37 minutes. Um, each team did have a turnover, but but Washington just like kept the pressure going. They were 10 of 15 on third down conversions. They had 481 total yards against, you know, Dan Lanning's a, a, a you know, the architect of the, maybe the best defense in college football history with Georgia a couple seasons ago. And, and he could, I mean, the Oregon's had a pretty decent defense most of the year. And I think a lot of people assumed that defense was going to show up in this game, yeah. but Washington figured them out from the beginning. And, and it was, it was impressive to watch. Um, yeah, I just, you know, something just told me an undefeated Washington going in that game was not going to be denied. And, well, and, and they Pe- sure Penix were not. Played, yeah. And um, I, they carry a lot of momentum, I think, going into, um, you know, the postseason for sure. Uh, congratulations to the Washington Huskies. Uh, by the way, the last ever champions of the Pac-12, the Pac-12 is now effectively, officially kaput. It is no longer. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's sad. Well, the Pac-12 is kaput, but the Pac-2 is very yeah, real. Yeah, right. Well, very in, in real. In any case. And that was definitely, <laughs> there was an awkward element to that because, you know, the ESPN broadcast and, and ESPN was one of the big players that, you know, basically allowed the Pac-12 to dissolve by by not giving them, uh, you know, a TV yeah, they didn't uh, throw them a lifeline. Comp- comp- they didn't throw right, them. They, not at they all. let them drown. They just Absolutely. watched them do it. They and lost, then you watch well, them. Because the Big Ten, well, what's interesting is that Fox is the is the recipient of, right. of that more so. Because because they Fox did it does did and does have a deal with the Pac twelve to a degree. And also um, the Big Ten and also the Pac uh, and also the Big Twelve. 
Correct. So, so the Pac-12, dis, you know, dismembering and going fracturing to all these other uh, conferences. Those, you know, the big the Big Twelve got some of them, and the P- Big Ten got some of them. That only helps Fox. Yeah. You know, it, that's that's less that they got to spread load uh, uh, their product over you know multiple conferences. But it was really uh, bizarre watching like the ESPN crew lament the demise of the Pac-12, oh, right, 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 you know, right. as they're like the, the championship trophy and all that kind of stuff. It is like, you know, guys like enough with the fake remorse, like this is on you. And, and it really felt sad in that regard. Well, but, it, and, and it's interesting that like, obviously the ESPN college game day guys are not the ESPN brass that are making these top level right, decisions. Right. However, you know they're getting like direction from producers well, that get and it their goes orders both ways from somebody too, because up their opinions higher. influence the decision. Absolutely, well. absolutely. All right. Well anyway, great Pac twelve championship game. Congratulations to Washington. Um and by the way, both these teams in the Big Ten next year. Um then on Saturday, Big Twelve uh played number seven Texas and number 18, Oklahoma State, probably the the boringest of the five games, which is actually saying a lot. Um, Texas uh, destroyed Oklahoma State 49 to 21. It was really never a game from the get go. I didn't, I stopped paying attention after the first 10 minutes, basically. <laughs> Honestly, but listen, listen, Oklahoma State was unranked i think in that game or at least after the game right no they were were number 18 and and they're currently ranked 20 i believe oh are they okay i'm sorry my 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 but i mean it's Um, it's well outside the top 15 it's just i mean what's interesting is like they they the big 12 went to a like one versus two and it still didn't bear the the higher level fruit that that they would have liked yeah um and so Texas winning that game, I think people were hoping that Oklahoma State would upset them. Obviously, if Penn State, that would not have helped Penn State's uh, New Year's Six chances, I don't believe. Um, but yeah, it would have been bad if Oklahoma yeah, State had won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so I, I just, I think Texas is is a bit fraudulent in some ways, being a conference champ um, and getting in. Uh, it just feels that way because the Big 12 is not great. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's the big knock is the Big Twelve as a whole is 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 not that great. But we're, we'll yeah. get into the selection yeah. committee yeah. decisions sure. here sure. in a moment. But um, yeah, big win for for Texas. Uh, the clear- I mean, to all the people that were saying. Texas is back. They finally get to get that validation that they're in the playoff. And and yeah. and and what sucks for the Big Twelve is you know one of the biggest proponents of the of the Big Twelve like dismantling as they know it. You know now it's going to be a totally new. It's, it already is a totally new look conference. And it's going to be even more of a new look conference next year with Oklahoma and Texas gone. But you know Colorado, uh, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State coming in. Like the Big Twelve is a totally different league now and texas winning the conference in their last you know you know flip of the bird as they leave uh out the out the back door or whatever it's just that that sucks for for big 12 you know fans that are sticking around for for whatever the conference is you know moving forward it, well it's interesting you don't that see, two you don't of the texas win that you know it's interesting that two of the five conference champions are not going to be in that conference next year yeah washington and texas yeah yeah that's we we live in a weird 
weird college football era now. Agreed. I do not love it. Um, and and I hope some and the and the pack going back to the Pac twelve the Pac two Oregon State and Washington State holding together as a two member conference. My hope is that somehow those two teams schools holding together this Pacific Athletic Conference um, is that maybe someday like. Smarter heads prevail, and they like reform the Pac-12 yeah. as it was, as it was, and as it was supposed to be. I mean, come on, and it's a, it's an entire time zone different. I mean, they're like three time zones different from the East Coast. How do you not have it's baffling? A, it it's is baffling. It's shocking. It's and it's the conference of champions, and it, and you know. Washington winning that game and Washington going undefeated, I can only hope, and we'll talk about it more, but like, I hope I know who I'm rooting for. Yeah. I mean, Washington is going to be the people's choice in this playoff. No doubt. No doubt. And, and, and it's like, bro, would you say they're America's team? I, 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 you know, <laughs> certainly not Michigan. We'll get into it. I'm, yeah. I'm off, I'm off track, but it's hard yeah. not to, to get to these points and all, cause there's just so much They're chaos. Intertwined. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, let's talk about the, the game, uh, that, that really created all this chaos. This is the result that threw everything into, yeah. um, Insanity, and that is in the SEC. Number eight, Alabama beat number one Georgia in a very tight game, twenty-seven to twenty-four, knocking off, uh, you know, the preseason number one, the team that has been number one most of the season, uh, knocked off in the SEC championship game to number eight Alabama, uh, who now claims the SEC crown again. You're shaking your head, Andy. <laughs> I mean, look, the, the game itself. The game itself, it was a good game. It was, yeah, I was, it was very, it was su- enter- I was surprised at, or excuse me, I was surprised at Georgia's <laughs> lack of offensive ability. Andy, they just, this is Georgia's first game of their season. <laughs> I mean, it showed. Now, I, I mean, mean if, right. What, what, what defense ha- did they play co- going into that game? I mean, it Seriously. showed. They looked like Penn State against Michigan and Ohio State. Really, like, like they, they just look stuck. Their side of the division uh, in the Southeast Conference is Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky, Florida, South Carolina, Vanderbilt. They're, Andy, there, there, there's only one team that doesn't have four losses or more in that division, and that's Missouri. And I mean, like Missouri's yeah, they no powerhouse. Missouri. Yeah, right. They obliterated Missouri, and Missouri's no powerhouse by any stretch of the imagination. So it's like Georgia was always going to be playing in the conference championship game, no matter what. And it just and there's no defense in the uh, besides Alabama. There's no defense in the SEC that plays to to what Georgia. That that was literally their first test, and they failed it. Um, yeah. So and just barely at that, but still, I mean, their offense could not overcome, you know, what Alabama was doing. It, it, it was it was shocking, and you know, from an offensive standpoint, Alabama looked like the team that had a lot more going for them, even though it was a very close game. Now, it, what's interesting here is, um, it, you know, it's not like it's not like Georgia couldn't do anything. You know, their quarterback was twenty-one for twenty-nine. Uh, I mean, he was eight point four yards per pass. Uh, they had more 
uh, overall yards than Alabama did. Now they did turn the ball over on a fumble, and they you know they did have 56 yards in penalty yards, but you know they did they they couldn't rush the ball the way they wanted to. 2.45 yards per yeah, rush that's, on that's 78 rushing yards. That was that was really what I mean. You, if you become one dimensional, like you can you can get stops. You know, yeah. so that's really what happened in that game, as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, other than that, it was a pretty even game. I mean, Georgia had 19 first downs. Alabama had 20 first downs. Georgia had the ball for 28, uh, nearly 29 minutes. Alabama for 31 minutes. Like, yeah, Eileen was- and I were um, heading out uh, to dinner, like between the third and the fourth quarter. And when we got there, it was a place, you know, a sports bar. And, um, you know, there was like, 10 minutes left in the game and it was a nail biter and we were very engaged and excited and interested. I was just surprised that Georgia had as much trouble as they did. And Alabama really uh, made a mess of things. And um, we'll talk about that in a moment, but let's get to the, let's just get to the last two games. Let's just okay, get the last two okay. games real quick. I'm going to come back to 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 the we'll come talk CFP stuff, but I definitely want to talk about the Georgia Alabama game, especially in regard to Texas. Um, and we'll get to that after we yeah, go through these yeah, CFP. Sure. CFP um, so the Big Ten Championship game, um, another yawner, um, number two Michigan over number sixteen Iowa. They blanked Iowa twenty six to nothing. Just interesting note: Penn State beat Iowa thirty one to nothing. But Iowa could not get any <laughs> points. Michigan didn't look phenomenal but uh workman like 26 points uh i i really didn't bother watching much of this game because it was just not that interesting. oh yeah i mean a like horrible was on the sidelines though andy oh my gosh <laughs> the return of the king <laughs> <laughs> i mean they the, the fox fox just is well and there was absolutely no in every way no it, there was mention of his return there was no mention or very little mention of what what set him on the sidelines and no mention of the investigation by the NCAA or anything. It was Andy, a crowning of the king for sure. You know, 26 to nothing is it looks good on paper so to speak, but like like you said, we beat them 31 to nothing granted it was at Penn State in a night game, uh, the whiteout, but Michigan has like since JJ McCarthy and Michigan has not looked great on offense the last you know three weeks. since well no since Connor Stallions was fired right or it's excuse true. me uh resigned or whatever it is that, that they say <laughs> yeah. whatever it is that they say he did because initially it was a firing and now it's a resigning no, but bro everyone steals signs and that kind of cheating doesn't really make a difference to the bottom line JJ McCarthy had 147 yards passing. Their team had 66 yards rushing, Andy. Are you serious? Their offensive production was that low? I mean, yes. I'm looking at the stats right now. That is Um, sick. So so we actually outgained um, Iowa, or excuse me, outgained Michigan against Iowa. Our, we we outgained them in total yards, and we had more points against Iowa. So so I, obviously we we lost to Michigan, but Michigan is not Michigan is not the number one team that everybody thinks that they that that they are. Especially yeah. when you factor in the fact that they are cheaters. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, right. well, how and do the- you how do you vote them number one when they're the, they they spend half the year cheating? And the, the last game of the weekend was uh, number four, Florida State, who beat number 14, Louisville. It was a, another very kind of low production game, a lot of heavy defense. It was a 16 to 6 game. Um, Louisville just could not do anything 
Uh, Florida State had trouble as well, but they got just enough done with their third string quarterback for a, a ten point win. Um, did you watch that game? Was there? I mean, it's Florida State's defense is championship caliber. It is That's, incredible. That that is honestly like how I, you know, look at that game and 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 the game before that against Florida and the, and this season Florida State's defense plays championship caliber defense and they looked like it man i mean they were it, it looked very much like l- watching a Penn State or a Georgia type defense that is just like swarming and making life miserable it was it was impressive the the Absolutely. few bits that i saw um so now all those five games, and of course now you got five conference champions and four slots in which to get a you know it, playoff hey, teams invited. Hey, to, to just yeah. real quick to to, okay. to tarp on that Florida State victory, just a sure, little bit more. Remember this, Andy. I, I'm I'm waiting. I'm I'm ready the to SEC's remember. The SEC's best non-conference win as an entire conference is over Louisville. And that same Wait, Louisville, what? Yeah, like the, the, the non the, the SEC's best non conference win. Of all the non conference games, of all the, the non conference games, the SEC teams have played all the, season long. The best the win be- was against Louisville. That is correct. Who beat as far Louisville? As, uh, that would be I don't remember offhand. Um, I can't remember offhand. I don't have it. In all right, me. I'll pull it up. This yeah, is incredible. Okay. Keep the going. Point, the point is. The, that same Louisville team, Florida State held them to 2.7 yards per play and only six points. Like, I, to, um, yeah. it's it's just, I'm getting to this, I, I don't have much hair to pull out on my head. I just, I got to pull it out for my beard. But like this... You go thirteen and zero. You're Florida State. You were you were in the in the top four of the CFP, ninety percent of the of the CFP polls, and then you drop them out for a team. Okay, so we haven't even talked about. I know what actually happened. So you, yes, you didn't actually talk about the Florida State game. You just talked about Florida State. As well, they, they held him at two point seven uh, I, I, yards I per play and six points. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. So in terms and, of a and common that, that opponent, Louisville, yeah, yeah the common yeah. opponent. So, so this yeah. is what happened, you know, um, after all those five championship games ended there, there was, you know, a solid 12 hours of rampant speculation between midnight when that last game, those mm-hmm. last game yep. ended. And of yep. course the, the college football talking heads, you know, the, the ESPN guys and the Fox guys are all talking about already, already. Oh, well, Florida state, cause of what's his name, their quarterback, who's, who's our quarterback? Travis Jordan Travis yeah Jordan Travis you know he's he's injured and so we're really they're not that good of a team anymore and like how do you keep Alabama out you know and I mean already setting that narrative but of course it was just narrative and like that's their job to stir up controversy and then on noon on Sunday they open up the selection show and and as you would expect number one Michigan Mm-hmm. Taking the place of number one Georgia, Michigan, you know, ran the table. Gotcha. Number two Washington, who was previously number three, they moved up to number two. Arguably Those are your undefeated one. conference champions, right? And they were previously ranked two and three, and they all moved up, right? Your yep. fourth ranked conference champion, Florida State, also now undefeated. And you would think the logical thing to do would be to move them up to number three, but 
Instead, what we had was one lost Texas who beat Alabama during the regular season, had lost to Oklahoma. They got slotted into the number three slot. And then your SEC champion, one loss Alabama, who had lost to Texas, but beat number one Georgia in the final game of the season. They end up moving into the four slot. And undefeated Florida State was left out in favor of two one-loss championships, the Big 12 champ and the SEC champ. This is unprecedented. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of the rationalization that I've heard from the committee and the, the you know, pundits and things like that, I, does, it does not comport with me. And it, the more I think about it, and you said it at the top of the show, like the more I become a Florida state. I'm a sympathizer. A, I'm a sympathizer, Florida, right? I'm an empathizer, like, a sympathizer. I'm a, a fan now. like Because I don't I, understand how you actually, in, in any logical universe, rationalize the decision that they've made. You have Florida state now sitting out at home, they're thirteen Not just and zero. State the entire ACC as well. The, exactly. So, uh, you know, the matchups that they put together, it's going to be number one Michigan versus number four Alabama in the Rose Bowl, number two Washington versus number three Texas in the Sugar Bowl, and then five and six Florida State versus Georgia in the Orange Bowl. And that's a really interesting "quote unquote" consolation game because. Up until Saturday, Georgia was number one and Florida State was number four. Like, and that's the alternate CFP play-in game. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, it's, there's so many different ways I want to ang- be angry about this. There's so many different <laughs> angles of anger Absolutely. For, for this. Um, you know, and like I was saying, you know, the SEC's uh, best non-conference win is over Louisville. That was Kentucky beating yes. Louisville, by Kentucky. the way. Okay? So Ridiculous. That's the, 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 that's the entire conference's top-ranked uh, non-conference win was Kentucky beating Louisville. Um, by the way, Kentucky, who finished fourth in the Eastern. Right, right. They're propping the SEC up a big time. Um, now, and and by the way, Florida State beat to start the season, not just beat, absolutely obliterated at the time, number five LSU. And LSU has a Heisman Trophy, possible Heisman Trophy um, winner on a quarterback on their team, and they held them to 24 points. Okay, um, so w- one of the SEC's premier programs, a program that has won national titles in, in recent memory, you know, they, they obliterated them, okay? And then they ran the table, ran the table, beat everybody, uh, you know, convincingly, more or less. Now, you know, you talk about, okay, oh, well, they, they almost lost to Boston College, and that was early in the season, right? Now, if you go back and, and you want to talk about like that was early in the season against Boston College that yeah. they, they they nearly lost on the road, thirty-one to twenty-nine. But guess what? the The current top four teams in the CFP, the two, the four teams that are going to the playoff, which by the way we use that term playoff, it's not a playoff. It is an ESPN no. slash uh, CFP Invitational. It is an it is an NCAA and 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 ESPN Invitational. That is what it has become at this point. Now the top four teams. In the last month, Andy, in the last month of the regular season, have all four of those teams nearly lost to bad teams. Michigan uh, nearly nearly lost to Maryland, thirty-one to twenty-four. 
Washington nearly lost to Washington State, 24-21. Texas nearly lost to TCU. A very bad TCU, by the way. A very bad TCU. Four and four and six TCU at the time, I believe they were. Um, they 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 nearly lost 29-26. And needless to say, the very last team that made it in, Alabama, needed a miracle. On the last play of the game, on fourth and goal from the 31, needed a miracle play to beat their in-state rival, Auburn, 6-6 six and six Auburn. Auburn, who the week before got blown out by New Mexico State. Okay, like, you... you you look at those those like recency and those four teams nearly you know ha- having bad bad games in the month leading up to the final rankings and and you know only two of those teams are undefeated by the way the other two that have like nearly really bad losses and by the way also have one loss supplanted an undefeated power 5 I mean, what, even, what's, what is even the point of d- identifying these conferences as power five? If you're going to say like, oh, I'm sorry, the ACC as a conference doesn't have the heft for an undefeated conference champion to give you a, you know, a pathway into the chance. Like it's real. And, and part of the problem is this, this, uh, invitational committee this 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 selective secretive group of people who go into some closet and they there's really there's no objective criteria for no, how to make not. these decisions it's really week rash- in, week in and week out not even not even week in and week out like team to team they shift year in and year out for that you're in and you're out different in years out. they have team different in kind of team out Different criteria, different years for how the, some teams are left in and some teams are are left out. Like the fact that somebody created the the like you know the line in the criteria that injured players should be playing a role in ha- like what what if what if in the NFL. They're like, oh, you know, in in the, the final week of the of the season, you know, Jalen Hurts got injured, and they're just gonna they're just gonna swap in the Dallas Cowboys as the one seed, and yeah, they're gonna because it'll make for a better game. Like, are you kidding me? What sport would it's ever remotely look at an injury as being the thing that is the deciding factor for if a team is allowed have you heard about allowed the, to play for a, a a chance to win a championship the the public apology 85 scholarship players on that Florida State team Andy that's the team and that's who you let in and you don't let keep someone out because some guy got injured. It doesn't matter if it's the quarterback. And by the way, have you heard the public apology that Jordan Travis has issued to his teammates for getting yes. hurt? Yeah. Like it's, the fact that that he that that he has got a you know, his season is over. His career at Florida State is likely over. Um, I think he's, you know, going on to the NFL after this. Um, but but the fact that he had to watch his season slip away in that gruesome injury, and then weeks later, these this committee gets to tell his team that his injury, pointing directly to Jordan Travis as the reason his team doesn't get a chance to play for what is – Earned by that whole entire team, earned by that coaching staff, 
And then, dude, if this was a, a Penn State team, I don't. I would be going scorched earth. On like, I, I would break something, man. I mean, like it, that is so unconscionable and so just devastating to to the to the like. We're talking student athletes. I don't care if they are making nil money. You're you're talking about like you're making billion dollar decisions uh, with with student athletes' hopes and dreams. I mean, they did literally everything within their control everything possible within their control to get if you, know, you had the five right. undefeated teams yeah. maybe that would be a maybe maybe, maybe. that would be would be like at least somebody's got to be left out in that conversation yeah that sucks and like maybe that 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 injury situation is a little more like you can stomach it a little bit more if five teams are undefeated but the fact that you have you have two one loss teams jump not just over an undefeated Florida State, but they jump in an unprecedented move. They jumped four, four spots, spots each. They the have final- never there has never been a team outside mm-hmm. of the top six in the last poll to jump into the top four, and they did it with not just one team. They did it with two teams. They did it with Alabama and Texas over top of an undefeated team. It is just unfathomable like if i'm mike norv they had a viewing party at florida state at the team facility or wherever it oh was my that gosh they, and they watched it get announced oh as a full-blown team gosh and that is if you're the coach of that team you not only are you upset just in general but like how do you how, what answers do you give your players for 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 overcoming all that adversity with a not just a second string quarterback, third but a string third quarterback. string quarterback, you overcome all the odds. And back in 2014, the committee voted in a, a you know a third string quarterback team yep. in Card- Ohio State, Cardale Jones. You know? Yep, absolutely. So so what? I it's just oh man, I I I don't know I don't know how I don't. L- I don't. Who, by the like way, it. who went on to win the championship game? Uh, that's the point. They went on to yeah, win the whole with a thing third, with a third string. With a third string and here you are. Here you're telling an entire conference that because a quarterback got injured, there that every team in that conference, it, like the, every game that they played prior to you know <laughs> this week, none of it mattered. None. None of it mattered. None. Well, none of what Jordan Travers and that Florida State team did leading. Into, you know, up to the final week, none of it mattered. Well, let's let's the flip games it around. don't matter. Let's flip it around the other way, right? Let, let's say you know a team you know loses two or three games with their star quarterback on the bench, and then he comes back and they win oh, right. you know the rest of their games. Yeah. Like we, oh. we say, well, like this is a much better team with a quarterback now that they're healthy, so we're not going to count those losses. Yeah, you could, and then and then uh, that's a great like you know this is the, that's how bad this precedence is. It's you terrible. start getting into that territory of like, yeah, they're 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 like if Jalen Milrow got injured in that SEC title game, but Alabama still won. 
Like, what do you do there? Do you say, oh, well, because even though Alabama won, we still feel Georgia's the better team because their quarterback isn't injured, and they just vote Georgia in over Alabama, even though Alabama just beat them, and they're both just one-loss team or uh, one-loss yeah. teams? Like, well, that, I, it, that's, what just, that's what you're inviting. That's what you're inviting. I feel like someone needs to go up to like this committee and all of the talking heads around them who are like propping it up, hello, ESPN, and they needed to shake them violently and say, stop it. Just stop it. Like, wake up. Wake up. And and, and here's here's where it just like, they're, they're going to get away with it because like, oh, next year's the 12-team playoff. Yeah. You know, oh, uh, Florida anyway. State can try again next year. And it's like, that's not how this works. No. Some teams, this is, it, it this takes is your a one generation. Shot. It yeah. takes a generation sometimes. That, well, look at Penn State back in 2016, right? It's like, oh, maybe obviously. next year. I'm, but guess what? I, it didn't it happen. It never came. It never came. It never came. You, you're you're literally tinkering. You're you're playing, you're, you're, you're playing like checkers with 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 you're playing god whole, effectively yeah you're, you're playing you're, yes you're basically yeah. being the supreme court and instead of like instead of actually judging the case on the merits you're saying well this is how i feel it should go and we're going to back our way into a decision and we're going to rationalize it based on what we want to happen because the, the truthfully i think the biggest problem is nobody on that committee could stomach a college football playoff without an SEC team. Yeah. I, um, that's the, to me, that's the number one thing. And like, you won't just outright come and tell us that, hey, the SEC gets an automatic bid no matter, that's no a, matter what, that's who what the winner this is. actually means is yeah. that the SEC gets an automatic bid. Even one with a one loss another. over an undefeated power five, the SEC trumps all because they've got, they, you, that, that's, look at the history of the SEC. You can't have a playoff or a national title game without an SEC member. It's just not possible because they're the best. It's like, I mean, dude, this goes back to the 1950s of bias uh-huh. in Southern uh-huh. football. Yeah. And it's, well, so, so th- if there was ever a year to, 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 to throw a curveball and say, Hey, let's have a 16 playoff. This is the year. This Absolutely. is the year. To, like they should have like some sort of like injunction where they, I, they, I mean, they, look, there's going to be content. Cause as far as I know, the committee's still involved next year. Um, but having 12 teams, it's definitely going to increase the range of uh, possibilities that, you know, no team that really has a chance to win or should be considered is going to be left out. But Florida State definitely got the shaft. And I know people are saying, oh, someone's going to get disappointed anyway. But it matters who that team is that's disappointed and whether you can rationalize based on objective criteria, based on, you know, a a dispassionate viewing of the facts, whether or not the team that is left out was done so in a, you know, an upright and transparent way. And for Florida state, like everything we've come to know about this playoff system, quote unquote, playoff system, everything we've learned about it, everything we've learned about it in the last, whatever, 10 years has been that if you run the table in your conference and win your championship game, you're in. There is no doubt about that. And they just upended it because they just couldn't deal with not having an SEC team. And it just smacks of bias. It smacks of corruption. It smacks of all those things that you don't want in a multi-billion dollar industry. And, you know, it's just corrupting the heart and soul of college football left and right. 
It's like, why did you have Florida State in the top four even after Jordan Travis's injury at all? If that's what you were gonna, you know, conceivably do, if you ever, if you had that inkling of like, eh, you know, with their backup quarterbacks, we don't know how we feel, but then they should have never put them in at four, which speaks to the inconsistency from week to week that this committee, uh, cons- you know, puts out there. You know, it's it's just it's baffling to me. And and here's the other thing, Andy is like, you know, Georgia had won the last the the last two national titles, and they were on a you know what a 29 game win streak. Unprecedented, yeah, yeah. And then they lose one game to a top what eight top team eight. top eight, eight team in the conference championship game. They lose one game at that 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 thirteenth data point, right. and 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 that data point takes them out entirely. And that was it was a three it was a three three point three loss. Point correct? Yeah. Like I'm sorry. Even I might even say Georgia has a a better you know yeah. resume that, that than you know, Alabama. I don't. I don't, right? I don't even. It's just, it's, it's, it's asinine. It, it is asinine. And 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 and. and What's what's interesting is when you like think about okay so how do we compare apples to apples or whatever the heck it is if you like go to the you know the college football conference records like conference versus conference you know if it, you know yep. everything out yep. of conference the ACC actually has the best record overall against all, all the, the other, other conferences. conferences at wow. ten and nine and and guess who has the worst record. Of all the conferences against other conferences, maybe the SEC is that where you're going? The SEC is seven and nine. They have the worst record of of, against other conferences. Mm. So, and and I know you like you got to go look at those individual matchups, bro. But that's like, bro, it just means more. It just means more. Okay, yeah. Uh, (laughs) All right, dude. We gotta wait. wait, Last thing I want to say. Last uh, thing I want to say is, if you recall, a couple years ago when when. You know, you had the these these uh there was a chance that we were gonna be able to make a twelve team playoff happen as early as this year. Yes. And guys like uh Warren and and who, whoever else those dudes the were that were the big wigs can't make it happen. It. If there was ever a need for a twelve team playoff, this was the year to do it. So yeah. anyways. Yeah. It's a shame. Um it's weird to feel like you're pulling for a team like Florida State. And it's weird to think that I'm I'm ambivalent about that Michigan Alabama game because I don't want Michigan to win, but I don't want Alabama to win. I want we, we to haven't see the talked Wolver- remotely I want to see- about the fact that no one has mentioned the Michigan cheating scandal yeah, or their yeah. utterly ridiculously. You know light what's going to happen? The NCAA is not going to. No, do their job. That's really what's going to happen egregious. because it's too too much of a mess to clean up a national title that Michigan that they're going to let Michigan play for and to have them vacate national you know conference titles and 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 a national again. But like, what, bro, if you think about this though, if your quarterback going down has an effect I on whether not, or not dude. you can play. That's a really like, good point, Andy. Like, how does the fact that you have been caught cheating illegally not have an effect on your how you project a team's ability to compete in a national championship? Like, if you're going to 
think about those kinds of things, you got to think about it globally. So like, how do you not say, sorry, Michigan, you've sucked since Connor Stallion's been gone. And by the way, you've got your hands caught red handed and we don't have confidence that you are actually as good as your record says you are. And so I, I, we're going to leave you out. I just have no out. faith in the system. No. I have no faith. You know, I, like we talk about how much we love this amateur sport and obviously it gets closer and closer to professionalism. Um, but the professional ranks don't argue I tell about you what, how this playoffs quote unquote system is run. That is amateur hour. That absolutely is. Amateur I mean, hour. no other major competition in football is run as terribly high as school system. playoffs are run better. Yeah, uh, courtesy D3, of Mike Leach. <laughs> D3 playoffs are run better. <laughs> you know, like FCS. NFL playoffs run better. They doesn't they, matter what level of college, fo- what these level of football old you look at. Morons that are in charge of running major college football are 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 ruining. It's a Frankenstein's monster it, of a system. It, it is, it, and it and it just. I mean, you know, the four team. Invitational going away can't happen soon enough, but I still you still pay worry about players, the players. Pay these players and get this playoff system run correctly. Like rip the like, bandaid off for crying out! Totally, loud. it's Jeez. it's. I hope Florida State and whoever else is involved with getting a, a lawsuit going figures out how to ruffle enough feathers that they find out either a that there was collusion in holding Florida State out, or b they change this. It, uh, it 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 leads to change that that blows this whole system up. I'll take I'm, it. I, I'm I'm over it. I really yeah. am. It, yeah. I was pissed off in 2016, and and we like had a like somewhat of an argument. But this is like light years worse than whatever Penn State had to had to you know deal with for being left out of uh you know the, the 2016 uh, playoff when even though we beat Ohio State and we won our conference Ohio State got in over us and our own conference commissioner didn't even lobby for us so bro that was an epic State. epic rant I, I could I, go I, I could keep going I know I, I congratulate you I really I congratulate could. us yeah but um there's one more thing that I want to talk about I was really hoping for a close to one hour episode and it's it's going to be a lot closer <laughs> to two than one but um one more thing we want to talk about which is kind of the sort of happy news the exciting news for Penn State coming out of the conference championship weekend and the playoff results and the committee's work is that Penn State after a little bit of hand wringing going in we are going to get a new year's six game and our matchup is honestly I think one of the best uh, of the possible options um Penn State is going to be playing in the Peach Bowl against Ole Miss it's going to be a number 10 versus a number 11 that's Saturday December 30th at noon on ESPN and um honestly bro I'm kind of looking forward to it there's some really interesting aspects to this game we're not going to get into the full preview. That'll be uh, for a little bit later down the road. But I thought we'd just talk at least for a few minutes here about sort of your reaction, my reaction yeah. about you yeah. know this matchup and 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 what it means. Um, you know, what's your what's your first impressions? You know, knowing that Penn State's got an invitation to the Peach Bowl against Ole Miss. All right. Well, so 
you know, Tulane losing meant Tulane was no longer the team that was going to be like right. who's who's ever. Right. We were already uh, saying anyone but Tulane, right? Well, anyone Tulane's but Tulane, but out. then it ended up it ended up being Liberty, Liberty University, Liberty, which wasn't even a, a power or a, a FBS program a few years back. Um, they they've I don't know how they did it, but they're doing it, and and Oregon has to play them. Oregon, sadly. holy cow! I, you know, talk about going from Heisman Trophy hopes and, and national title hopes to what are the odds? Playing Liberty plays that game. Oh, I, you know, I I hope he does. I yeah. hope because you know playing college football is is precious and it's special and you don't get it back. But um, we know so, from playing Memphis a couple of years back that it's just not the same thing as well, he, playing he, an American here's, opponent. Here's where maybe Bo Nix doesn't want to do that. Is last year USC played Tulane? Oh right. And they got beat, and that was even with Caleb Williams. So yeah, that's a yeah. stain on Caleb Williams last year. And totally. maybe Bo Nix doesn't want to do that this year. But you, if you're Dan Lanning, you still you got to win that game. Yeah. Dude. So we dodged that bullet for sure. Yeah. yeah. So we dodged that bullet. So I am very thankful that we got a New Year's Six bowl game. It is what uh, James Franklin's fifth in seven years of securing both a, a, a securing a New Year's Six bowl game, and we get a chance. Um, to to make make no mention it yet of, of playing against Ole Miss, Penn State gets a chance to uh, to set a record for being the potentially being the only program to have won every New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, well, right? this that we get that opportunity because this is the first time Penn State will ever have played Correct. in the Peach Bowl. Yep, it's also the first time we've ever, at least for the records. That I've seen and other people report. We've never first played Ole Miss. First time yeah. ever playing Ole Miss, and of yeah. course, Lane Kiffin has been a larger than life personality around college football for the last at least ten years, and so you know, getting a matchup against him, and uh, you know, the antics that t- tend to come from him, it should be really, really interesting. And I think like Lane Kiffin and James Franklin in some ways share some traits. They're both very outgoing. They're very social media oriented. Um, another way, I think very Franklin's different. a little more buttoned up, and Kiffin's a little Certainly. more off the cuff. But what's it, the uh, interesting about these two programs led by these guys is. They both kind of have this, uh, even though Franklin won the Big Ten in 2016, they both have this, like, we're the second tier uh, in the in the in their our individual conferences, <laughs> like yeah. we, but standing alone a little bit, like we can't we can't beat the big names in our conference. Like that's the that's like the the you know the national talking heads kind of have that big picture viewpoint of both James and Lane Kiffin. So so this will be an important game for both you know Penn State and Ole Miss and James Franklin and Lane Kiffin the loser becomes even more of the loser in that conversation <laughs> well you know i i'd say there are some real similarities to this matchup and last year's matchup in the uh, Rose Bowl you know i mean utah obviously was the Pac12 champion that year but you know they had a couple of losses and oregon is like a great programming program trying to get to a late elite. Um, Ole Miss is a really solid program trying to get to that elite. And so it's a peer to peer kind of bowl game. And it is, I think it will be a real measuring stick kind of game has the opportunity to be anyway. Um, and, um, there are some interesting other kind of storylines in that, you know, Ole Miss really known for its offense. They have had a great offense this year. They're 15th nationally in total offense at, uh, over 
over 450 yards per game, and they're also in the top 20 nationally in points per game at almost 35 points per game. Um, and meanwhile, Penn State, um, although y- we've gained yards and we put up points, you know, it's really our defense that's the headline this year. And so we're a, a top five defense on any number of measures still to this point. And so our great defense going up against their really great offense should be a really interesting. And then, you know, people are already talking about that as a storyline. Um, you know, Ole Miss's defense is not terrible either. You know, they're probably going to be one of the better defenses we'll have played. Uh, they're 57th nationally in yards allowed per game, and they're 34th nationally in points allowed per game, and that's in the SEC. So, you know, our offense, which seemed to come alive in that last Michigan State game, will have a challenge ahead of us, you know, playing a very respectable you know, top 10 kind of program. Um, should be a good game if we can avoid – a lot of opt-outs. Yeah, and speaking of opt-outs, uh, to I'm going to read you a quote from Lane Kiffin uh, when he learned of our, you know, his matchup with Penn State. He, this is what he said when asked about Penn State. He goes, "I don't know a lot. I think you guys think that we watch more football on Saturdays than we do." When we don't play the teams that don't have common opponents, we don't watch their film for breakdown purposes. I don't really get to watch much football. I don't get to see great teams like Penn State. I got an early report from our personnel people that they have phenomenal players. A couple of first-rounders on defense that I was hoping Coach Franklin was going to announce that they were opting out. <laughs> Maybe he'll help us out with that, too. So, yeah. a funny comment from Lane. I, you know, I, I'm sure that's obviously yeah, a bit tongue-in-cheek. And I got a chance to listen to the there's a press conference, you know, with Lane and James and the um, head of the Peach Bowl. And it's very collegial. It, it actually is really amusing and entertaining. And both coaches had some interesting little tidbits there. But um, yeah, the, the question of opt outs, I think, is a big one. By the way, Kiffin said that he's not expecting many, if any, opt outs um, on their side. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to Penn State with some of these potential first rounders. And, you know, will we get to see the full complement of our defense? But um, I'm, I'm hoping for a good matchup and another, you know, really interesting opportunity to see if our offense can take the next step. Now, on that note, um, Franklin did say that even though Andy Kotelnecki is going to be on the staff and he'll be in place, uh, he's not going to be calling the game. He's not going to be having an active role um, in in running the offense. Um, that's going to continue to be Jawan Sider and um, Ty Howell. So, you know, what we saw the last two games of the season, that's how it's going to operate for the bowl game. Um you know, uh, but again, and I think it's an opportunity to take another step in terms of our offensive performance and offensive production. Um, truthfully, man, I'm really kind of excited about this game. I, I don't know that I'm excited enough to buy a ticket and get in the car and go down to Atlanta, but I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not a, a write-off as far as like, eh, you know, I'm not going to that game. If it was, you know, Liberty, you know, Tulane, whatever, yeah, no, who cares? Um, but, you know, Ole Miss is a respectable team. They've certainly become pretty respectable under Lane Kiffin. Um, I think that it'll be a good turnout for both teams f- from a fan base standpoint. Um, I do wonder about opt-outs. I'm not... I. What, we'll get more information before you know we have a preview episode. Obviously, um, we're kind of hoping I think to record on the twenty seventh yep. for that pre yep. pre game episode that look ahead. Um, but 
you know, you gotta you gotta wonder like is a guy like Olu Fashion gonna play? Is right. a guy like Chop Robinson gonna play? Is a guy mm-hmm. like Kalen King gonna play? But you know, looking back to last year, I don't. We didn't have any opt outs last year for that. It was a Joey Rose Porter Bowl. Jr. Oh, okay. He was he, he had one opt out was Joey Porter Jr. because okay. he thought he was gonna be uh, a first rounder. He and, was a thirty second pick, which was the first pick of the second round. Yeah, uh, and yeah. In, and every other year that would have been the last pick of the first round. But <laughs> so so get but guess guess who sh- shined in JPJ's place? Kalen King, Kalen King, and Johnny right. Dixon. And truthfully, and, I think I'm not that worried about opt outs because our young defensive players have looked good, and namely our secondary too, which I think is where we're going to be tested even on the line. The you most. know, deny Dennis Sutton and. You know, a couple of the other guys that you know, and our our young linebackers have looked great. So I, I just I hope I hope that that you know that it is an SEC matchup, um, you know, and that it is a New Year's Six matchup at at a big you know it's it's Atlanta, you know, yeah, Mercedes Benz SC- Stadium, one of the marquee, of SEC, yeah, yeah. You know, so, so I I hope guys go with us. I hope they play uh, at least some of the game, and uh, yeah, hope you gotta it's wonder if, if they're gonna if there's gonna be some Saquon Barkley. Like yeah, right. a, a second half opt outs. Like I wonder if like we'll see that from Chop. Like you know, Chop Chop talks a lot about um, how much Penn State has meant to him, and 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 when he you know transferred from Maryland, he, he like and how he, he talks glowingly about Franklin and this and this Penn State program. So I I feel like Chop is a guy that will play some of the game, if not all of the game. Yeah, I sure um, hope so. But you know, Olu has got nothing left to prove. Um, I think at this point in time, I mean, he and we didn't announce this, but he was he the won, uh, Big Ten yeah. offensive lineman of the year. You know, and and Kalen King, you know, I don't think he had the year that he thought he was going to have. I don't see him going in the first round, but maybe if he does play, and in we this don't game, know. I mean, it's possible maybe some he, of these maybe guys if he come does back, play, right? Maybe if he does play in this game. Against a very good passing attack and some good wide receivers. Dude, Ole Miss has a lot of good wide receivers coming out of there. A.J. Brown in the NFL with the Eagles. Uh, D.K. Metcalf, you know, playing with the Seattle Seahawks. They've, they've got playmakers in the passing department down there. And Lane Kiffin knows how to get the ball down the field. So our secondary is going to play a critical role. And, you know, Kalen King goes and plays in the game and plays lights out and has another pick like he did against Utah last year. Maybe he reasserts himself as a an elite first round defender. Um so I think I think a guy like Kalen King could actually win some ground by playing in this game. Yeah, you know, we have I mean, Penn State has not great. faced a ton of amazing passing uh right. attack offenses this year. It'd for be him great to-, to see you know uh, the full complement of our team and the full Absolutely. strength of our team Absolutely. in a game that should be a really fun well, one to watch. And and the and a reason I actually have hopes for less uh, opt outs than than maybe some other teams in some other years is we already got guys like Nick Singleton and Drew Aller committing to this team for next yeah, year, and exactly. that's the type of culture that Franklin has, um, you know nurtured throughout his career at Penn State. So um I, I look I look forward to, to seeing that we have some of the, the the fewest in the country as far as opt outs are, con, are are considered. Yeah, I hope so. Well, bro, I think um you know, we went well over what I well was over. sort of expecting, well but um, you know, lots of interesting things to talk about nonetheless. Um I think that'll do it for us today. Um want to remind everyone subscribe, share with your Penn State friends, send us a review or rating, um, drop a an email for the mailbag. 
bag. Um, and here's what we're going to do for the next couple episodes. Um, on the 18th, um, we're going to put together an episode where we do a season in review and take a look back at Penn State over the course of the season now that everything's all done. And we'll also update you on the latest news and notes if there are any uh, portal transfers or opt-outs or things like that. Um, and then after Christmas, before the um, the bowl game. Um, we'll do a preview of the Peach Bowl, looking at the 27th, maybe. That's a Wednesday uh, that Tom and I will try to um, get together and uh, do a little preview episode uh, for the game on the 30th. And then, of course, we'll give you at least one post game um, in the new year to, to talk about uh, the Peach Bowl. And um, you know maybe we'll preview some of the uh, college football playoff games as well and review the ones that have happened. Um, so a couple more things coming up and opportunities to hang out with us, um, bro. Until then, it always starts with I love you. And it ends with I love you. It always starts with I love you. We are Penn State. Thanks for listening to the Blue and White Brothers. Join us next time for another great episode about Penn State football. Want to make sure you don't miss an episode? Be sure to hit subscribe before you go. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate to give us a five-star review with overwhelming words of adulation and praise. 